0: The Soccer Gambling Podcast is presented by WinBet. Bet $50 at WinBet and get $200 in free bets. Bet big, win bigger with WinBet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com and start winning today. Also will support you by Sleeper. You already play fantasy on Sleeper, but now you can win cold hard cash with their over-under game. Just head over to sleeper.com slash SGP on your phone to join the SGPN group and Sleeper will automatically match your deposit up to $100. That's sleeper.com slash SGP. And make sure to check out our relaunched merch store where you can get all your favorite SGPN gear. Just head over to store.sportsgamblingpodcast.com.
1: season, a real breakthrough campaign. Dignar over Watkins, coming in with Cash, oh, Matty Cash. A real blow for the league leaders, it will be heralded at Anfield, but only in a small part of the Etihad, where the Villa fans are delighted. Watkins Ollie Watkins for Aston Villa oh. Oh. and the flag's run up the round held its breath oh. he's in his own half it would have counted it would have counted but it didn't go in there's uh, Song Hung Min and here's Kutinian Oh my word Gerard Catino the story that people have talked about all week well it's coming true campaign, 93 points, 99 goals, it's taken all that, and three in a rapid spell, turned a potential disaster into delirium at the Etihad.
0: You are listening to the EPL show here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. This is a wrap-up show, but also somewhat of a look-ahead show as well. We are five weeks away from the start of the new EPL season, and it's five weeks since we ended the last EPL season, with Manchester City coming away as champions once again, as you just heard on the audio clip. You can follow the soccer gambling podcast on Twitter at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. You can also follow the Twitter account for BetMUFC. That's at BetMUFC. That's at BetMUFC. Again, I delayed releasing this final episode of BetMUFC for this season because it did look like Man United were on the verge of making some signings this week. I'm not gonna wait any longer. I am gonna release the episode under the assumption that we will get the signings of Christian Eriksen and Frankie de Jong over the line because it does look like they are two players we are going to get in. So we're going to release that show no matter what on Sunday. So look out for that on the Soccer Gambling Podcast feed and be sure you are following the AtBetMUFC Twitter account because I'm hoping things are about to start getting busy here for Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United's summer Finally, follow the Twitter account for LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. That's at LockBetting.com. As we're recording this, I can confirm we have got over the line for 109 months in a row of transparent Track Profit. That means this service hasn't had a single losing month for now nine years and one month as we head towards saying we have been undefeated for 10 years. In order to do that, we will have to get to month number 120 and we are 11 months away from making that unbelievable claim. If you want to come aboard the journey, sign up for the month of July. July is a month that I always see as the start of the new soccer season because we will be releasing our futures and at the moment on a soccer package, you can get the rest Of our picks for Wimbledon. So that special offer is still going where you are getting Wimbledon picks as part of the soccer package. So I understand that it's a quiet month for soccer other than the futures coming out towards the end of the month and other than the friendly tournaments that will begin in the middle of July. So until then, you can occupy yourself with a soccer package where you will get the Wimbledon picks. If you want to get a full package, that's what you'll have to sign up to to get the UFC picks for this weekend and all other sports, including MLB and NHL. We're having a very, very strong season with US sports. We just had our strongest season of all time. In the NBA, and we are going strong in the MLB and the NHL. And of course, as I said, you get the UFC picks as well for this weekend. I will be dropping an episode of the fight show covering this weekend's UFC card. If you want to do your research on lockbetting.com head to the pin tweet at the Twitter account at lockbetting.com That will be the PL for the previous month. I've yet to swap over May with June. I'll be doing that in the next couple of days. If you want to see the PL for June, go and have a look at the Pin Tweet. If you want to see more pinned um, more PLs, sorry, go down to the bottom of that PL. Spreadsheet. You'll see little tags. They say things like football, tennis, NBA, UFC, etc. One of them says PL. Click that and you'll be able to see all of the other P&Ls. While you're looking at it, look at the type of bets we do, look at the sports we do, look at the stakes we place, and then look at the members' comments at the bottom, verifying the fact that this service has really delivered 109 months in a row of transparent track profit. So, moving on with why we're here, which is to talk about the the end of the EPL season, but also to look ahead at the upcoming season. Of course, this, this trophy, the EPL trophy, was won by Manchester City. However, they had to do it on the final day. In fact, they had to do it in the final 15 minutes because they got themselves 2-0 down against Aston Villa. Had Liverpool scored against Wolves in their, in their game earlier, I think it would have put some significant pressure on Manchester City. Not that they weren't anyway, because I think the assumption among the commentators and everybody watching at the time was that Liverpool's goal against Wolves was inevitable and in the end it was and uh, when Liverpool did score it was interesting because Mo Salah went away and celebrated as if he'd scored the goal that had given Liverpool the Premier League title. And just like that, a supporter told him that Manchester City had pegged it back from 2-0 down to 3-2 within the space of a few minutes. And you could see Mo Salah's facial expression completely changed from when he went over to celebrate after speaking to the supporter and and then turning his back and coming back onto the pitch. You could see a completely different facial expression on Mo Salah's face. So that was very, very interesting how The Liverpool players were certainly aware of the fact that Manchester City were 2-0 down and Mo Salah genuinely felt that when he scored his goal that he had given Liverpool the title. But Manchester City very, very quickly ate away into that 2-0 lead. I don't know why Manchester City... Played so poorly for the first half of that game. I don't know whether it was nerves. I don't know whether this team are just a team that are affected by nerves. You would think not because they win so many big significant games throughout the season, which is why they are the team that have won the Premier League and four out of the last five years. But at the end of the day, they cannot get over the line in the Champions League. And when you look at this game against Aston Villa, which was a game simply to get yourselves over the line, you came into it as a one to seven minus seven hundred, minus seven hundred favourite. And you simply should have just ploughed past an Aston Villa team that really had nothing to play for. But Manchester City made it very difficult for themselves. And this is, of course, the Manchester City team that imploded from being uh, 1-0 up and 3-1 up on aggregate against Real Madrid in the 89th minute in their Champions League second leg and blew it to go 2-1 down and then to lose the game an extra time. And inevitably, as we know, Real Madrid went on to win the Champions League. I think going into next season... Once again, despite the fact that Manchester City supporters deny it, the owners are the ones who I think have the final say and they will be prioritising the Champions League once again. I think the signing of Erling Haaland is more geared towards Manchester City trying to finally get that monkey off their back and winning the Champions League as opposed to just trying to win another Premier League title. I think had Manchester City not made a single signing, they still would have been the favourites to win the Premier League and they would have probably won it. For me... Changing up your team and getting Erling Haaland in is a gamble. That may sound like a stupid thing to say because this guy is going to come into the Premier League and score goals. And I have no doubt about it. I have no doubt in my mind that Erling Haaland will come into Manchester City and he will score over 20 league goals. But the issue is... How does it take away goals from the rest of the side? Because at the moment, you have goals being chipped in equally from all areas of the pitch. If you have that pivot man at the top, if you have that target man in Erling Haaland, if you're trying to get balls and crosses in, if you're trying to play a different stylistic way where you take away the false nine and you go for an out-and-out striker, what is that going to do to the way Manchester City play in general? One train of thought would be that they'll score a lot more goals because they are lacking that player and they'll be able to have more of a target point in order to play balls into, in order to get crosses into, in order to finish off the chances that they're currently missing in terms of being a better goal scorer than the likes of Gabriel Jesus, who did have a spell in the team. And previously before that, they tried to go with um, Fernand Torres, who who was not successful. Obviously, before that, they had Sergio Aguero. But Sergio Aguero and Erling Haaland are different players. Sergio Aguero would come in and Contribute more towards the overall play and um, Erling Haaland I don't think is a out-and-out replacement for Sergio Aguero I think after Aguero obviously went to this to this false nine and to Pep's credit they successfully implemented that which is why they have won the last two Premier League trophies but I do think what you have when you do have a Sergio Aguero and Erling Haaland you do have that get out of jail card when you're not playing well or you're, or you're losing a game and or maybe your tactics are not working, you do have that option to just start throwing it up into the box and, and hitting that target man and trying to get you out of jail when when the, the game plan isn't quite going to plan how you planned it throughout the week in training. So I do think there are pros and cons to this signing. One of the cons is obviously um, Erling Haaland's injury record. Erling Haaland doesn't have a great injury record. This is the most physical league in the world. How will Erling Haaland's body hold up to playing in the Premier League? If this move works out, if he does become the game changer, if they can still manage to dominate teams by playing the way that they they like to play, and then also be able to win those key games because you have a goal scorer that can score half chances, that you have that target man there that can, that can change things when tactics aren't quite going correctly, and you have that option to just throw it into the box and get yourself a goal out of nothing from, from a world-class striker like Haaland, if it all works out that way, then Manchester City are going to be very, very difficult to stop, not just in the Premier League, but on every single front. This could be a team who could genuinely compete uh, complete a quadruple. And obviously, Throughout the season, we saw that Liverpool, just for being in contention for a quadruple, were often spoken about as this great team, as this all-time great team. There were even comparisons to the Manchester United teams that won the treble in 99 or that won the double in 2008-2009. I thought that was very, very ridiculous because all Liverpool had really done was, was won themselves two trophies. They won two trophies. They won both of those games on penalty shootouts. They played um, three finals this season. They didn't score a single goal in any of those. Finals. They're they key players, the likes of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane, particularly Mo Salah, who's often um who's often seen as the current best player in the world by, by many people, especially on social media. He doesn't deliver in finals. He didn't deliver in the African Nations final, he didn't deliver in a Champions League final in 2019, he didn't deliver in the FA Cup final, he didn't deliver in the Carabao Cup final, he didn't deliver he didn't deliver in a Champions League final. Once again, in fact he missed he missed good chances to score in a game. So I think it's very difficult to put him on that pedestal. And it's even more difficult to put this team on that pedestal where you're talking about them as being one of the greatest teams of all time. But they they won two Cups and they pushed a very good Manchester City team to the final day of the season, but they didn't win the league. In fact, they didn't go ahead against Wolverhampton Wanderers in in their game to put immense pressure on Manchester City that could have won them the league. And in the Champions League final, they fell short after having the, probably the easiest route through to a Champions League final I've ever seen. Now Liverpool are a changed team this season because they won't have Sadio Mane. They are now going to go with Darwin Nunes as their centre man. So Mo Salah will be the man going out wide, and then obviously you have uh, Luis Diaz there, and Diego Jota, and Roberto Firmino, and these are going to be the two guys that come in and I'll um, be used as squad players to rotate when you decide that Darwin Nunes or Mo Salah or Luis Diaz need a rest. So this is a strong front five for Liverpool as well. I don't think Liverpool have necessarily got any stronger because they've lost Sadio Mane, but they certainly haven't got any weaker from losing Mane because Darwin Nunes is a player that can give you lots of years. Uh, As we're doing this podcast, Mo Salah has just signed a new contract. So it's good to have that information going into the show because there was a lot of talk that Mo Salah could be going to Real Madrid. There was a talk that the two teams, uh, the two parties, sorry, were very, very far off in terms of negotiating Mo Salah's new deal. But at the moment, as things stand, Liverpool are pretty much the same strength as they were last season. If they want to get stronger, I think they do need to sign a couple more players. I think they could do with some fullback cover, especially on the right-hand side. And I think they could do with another midfielder as well, so that they can really compete with Manchester City as far as their squad goes. But I do still think, if I'm honest, that the title race is going to come down to these two teams. The most interesting business so far this summer has been from Tottenham. Tottenham, of course, won the top four race. We saw individual races this season. We saw a title race out of nowhere. It looked like at one point that Manchester City were going to win this very, very early and could focus on the Champions League, but they started dropping points and Liverpool just went on an incredible run that got themselves back into the title race. So, despite being at one point 1 to 50 favourites and some bookies paying out on Manchester City, as they usually do for the publicity, especially Paddy Power, Liverpool managed to claw their way back in and we had a genuine title race. Between that, we had. uh, we had Chelsea, who were never really challenging for the title, but were never really in doubt of not making the top four. So they were a weird team that were always pretty much cemented and looking certain to be in third place. Whereas behind them, we had a really interesting race for the top four. It was mainly between Tottenham, Arsenal and Manchester United, but we had the likes of Wolves and West Ham flirting with the title, flirting with the the top four race for a temporary period. In the end, it came down to those three with Manchester United dropping out first and uh, Tottenham and Arsenal, coming right down to the wire when the two sides played in uh, what was Arsenal's third last game of the season and Tottenham's second last game of the season and then Tottenham won that game comfortably and um, we had that as a big plus money lock and then Arsenal ended up dropping the ball by losing away to to Newcastle so that was very very interesting I'll be interested to see where Tottenham fit in this season are they going to be title contenders are they going to be good enough to leapfrog Chelsea they've certainly done better business than Chelsea so far and they've also got Antonio Conte who is a manager that can turn average players into great players which is what he did, which is why this team ended up finishing ahead of Arsenal in the table. What happens to Arsenal now? Was that Arsenal's one big chance to finish in the top four and then being able to attract players to stay in the Champions League. Once you're in the Champions League, it's easier to stay in the Champions League because you can attract Champions League players. You can just get better and better. Arsenal don't have the benefit of that. Yes, they've been able to sign Gabriel Jesus from, from Manchester City, but they're finding it difficult to get Rafinha. It looks like Rafinha is going to prefer to to move to Chelsea because he can't get his Barcelona move because Barcelona just can't crunch the numbers to, to sign him, although that is his preference. But Arsenal seems like his third choice and that's simply down to the fact that Arsenal haven't got Champions League football and they're not a big big club like Manchester United who can attract players anyway because of their name simply uh, because they are Manchester United and don't need to be in the Champions League which is why Manchester United look like they could still get Christian Eriksen ahead of Brentford which is why Manchester United still look like they could be signing Frankie de Jong which is a major signing and it looks like Eric Ten Hag doesn't want to do any business for other signings until his number one priority is over the line and a signing of Frankie de Jong should be confirmed any time in the next few days of course we'll talk more about that over at BetMUFC and um and what it means for Manchester United and what realistic expectations are. I personally would be very, very happy if we could get into the top four. That sounds like a low expectation given that the previous season we finished second and we still have the likes of Ronaldo and Rafa Varane and Jaden Sancho and perhaps we can get more out of Marcus Rashford and perhaps Bruno Fernandes can have a better season again and perhaps Luke Shaw can find himself again. We have David De Gea and goal is always reliable and we're adding the likes of Eriksen and Frankie de Jong and, and perhaps we should be challenging for the title with his team. Yeah. <laughs> But I would take fourth at the moment because I just find it very, very difficult to even see who drops out of that top four. Tottenham are going to be stronger. How do they finish lower than where they finished last season, which was fourth? Chelsea have got new ownership now. They're supposed to get stronger, whereas at the moment, all they've done so far is lost Romelu Lukaku. who's managed to negotiate himself a loan deal to Inter Milan. And today it's been revealed that Romelu Lukaku was talking to Simone Inzaghi the whole time while he was playing for Chelsea. So despite the fact that he came over as a £100 million sign, his heart and effort was never really in Chelsea, which is very, very controversial when you look at it, especially when you look at the fact that he's on Inter Milan at loan and inevitably he'll have to return to Chelsea because he's owned by Chelsea. And all he's really doing by making these comments is ridiculously reducing his own transfer value, which damages Chelsea once again because they paid 100 million for him. And when the player has an attitude like that, it makes it very, very difficult to recoup anywhere near the 100 million that you want to get back for him. So it's all very, very up in the air at Chelsea and so far despite the fact they're being linked to everybody left right and centre from the likes of Neymar to Rafinha they, they, they haven't done any business yet and one big bit of business they need to do is sort out what they're going to do at centre back because losing Rudiger to Real Madrid is a big big loss for Chelsea because he was a key player and a key part of why they even finished third this season and the key part of why they won the Champions League the season before that so it's a very very interesting season for Chelsea if, if they're going to stay in the top four if they're going to stay above Tottenham if they're going to assign players that are are going to make them actually challenge for the league title. As I said, the likes of Rafina and possibly even Raheem Sterling, who's being linked to them because it's, there's rumours out there that, that Manchester City don't want Sterling anymore and he's not part of Pep Guardiola's current plans, obviously, with the likes of um, with Haaland coming in. And of course, the top two we've already spoken about them. As I said, I'll reiterate, it's very, very difficult for me to see them being overtaken by anybody. I think the bookies pretty much agree with, with everything that I'm saying. When you look at the odds, the odds are very clear and the odds are very, very predictable. Manchester City are the favourites to win the Premier League title again, as you would expect. And Liverpool are the second favourites. And there are very, very big prices on all of the other teams outside of those two. Manchester City starters are four to six minus 150 favourites. Liverpool are available at 2 to 1. It's 14 to 1 on Tottenham. So the bookies have made that interesting call that they do think Tottenham. Are actually a bigger threat to the top two than Chelsea at the moment by way of the business that Tottenham have done, including signing Richarlison just last night for for 60 million, getting that deal over the line, whereas Chelsea at the moment aren't doing anything and are priced out at 16 to 1. And you have Arsenal at 40 to 1 and Manchester United at 40 to 1. That is the biggest price in history that Manchester United have ever been to win the Premier League since the Premier League started. So the EPL began in 1992 and the 1992-1993 season was the first ever Premier League season. And this is the biggest price in history, in the 30-year history of the Premier League that anybody has ever, Ever been, uh, that Manchester United, sorry, have ever been to win the Premier League title 40 to 1 outsiders. Behind them, you have Newcastle at 100 to 1. They're going to be very, very interesting this season because obviously they're under new ownership. We're throwing a lot of money at them. They just signed Sven Botman to sort out their centre back issues. They're just going to continue to get stronger. I think for me, they're guaranteed to be a top half team next season. After that, you have Villa at 200 to 1, Brighton 200 to 1, Leicester 200 to 1, West Ham 200 to 1, and Wolves at 250 to 1. If you look at a couple of other markets here, I do feel that the top six are going to remain the top six, and it's going to be very, very difficult to, to penetrate those teams, despite the fact that Newcastle are going to be given a lot of money to spend. I think that Newcastle's first ambition will be to finish in the top half of the table, and the bookies do think they'll comfortably finish in the top half of the table. They are 1-3 to three to finish in the top half of the table. Behind them, you have Aston Villa at 8-11, West Ham at 8-11. I think it would be a major disappointment for West Ham to suddenly drop out of the top half. And then you have Leicester available at 10 to 11 with the outsiders Brighton 5 to 4, Crystal Palace 7 to 4, Everton 9 to 4, Wolves 9 to 4 and Leeds 4 to 1. So the bookies have Newcastle finishing 7th, they have Aston Villa finishing 8th, they have West Ham finishing 9th and they have Leicester finishing in 10th spot. 10th spot is a top half finish in the table. So I find it very, very difficult to see Leicester dropping down to the bottom half. In fact, I find it difficult to see Leicester finishing below West Ham this season. I don't think West Ham are going to do significant business in the transfer window. I think their main intention will be to keep hold of Declan Rice. They may spend a little bit of money bringing in one or two players, but I don't think they're going to spend anywhere near Close to the 100 to 150 million that I think they would need to seriously challenge again for the top six. And I don't think there's too much between the squads of Leicester and West Ham. In fact, I think Leicester are probably stronger and I just think they had a rare bad season. I look for Leicester to be a little bit better this season. They could potentially finish above both West Ham and Aston Villa here. So so to see them here available at 10 to 11 minus 110 is very, very interesting for them to finish in the top half. And that is one early bet that I've got circled because I just don't see Leicester dropping down to the bottom half of the table. There are rumours that Yuri Tielemans may be moving on. But if he moves on, I think they'll get decent money for him. And I do expect Leicester to spend that money to replace him. I still think Brendan Rodgers is a, a decent manager at this level. I think when Brendan Rodgers goes up, it's it's not really realistic for me to see him managing the likes of a Liverpool or a Manchester United. I don't think that's his level. I think at this level, he can get the most out of the Leicester players. I think there were a lot of rumours last season linking him to other jobs. At one point, Mikel Arteta started with three losses and Brendan Rodgers was linked to that job. It was also linked to the Manchester United job when everything was going wrong for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. In the end, he stayed at Leicester and perhaps that was difficult for him. They also dealt with without having Jamie Vardy for a lot of that season. At some point, this team are going to have to look for how they can replace Jamie Vardy because I don't think there's a team in the Premier League that it makes more of a difference to when one player is missing. I think he's more important to Leicester than, than Salah is to Liverpool or De Bruyne is to Manchester City or Saka is to Arsenal or or anybody there at Chelsea. But I think the one player that you could possibly say is, is more important and he made himself that important last year. I mean, it's a statistical fact that Manchester United were absolutely woeful last season without Ronaldo. But even that statement may not ring true because the previous season without Ronaldo, with a lot of the same players, Manchester United finished second So it would be interesting to see what Manchester United did had Ronaldo gone this summer. He was linked to moves to the likes of Bayern Munich and Chelsea, but ultimately it does look like he's staying and he will be part of the Eric ten Hag project. Looking at the relegation odds. Last season, of course, we ended up losing two of the teams that came up. Watford and Norwich didn't really make much of an impact, but Brentford did. Brentford ended up surviving and we lost Burnley. I think it will be very, very difficult for Vincent Kompany, the, the former Manchester City captain, to guide Burnley back into the Premier League at the first attempt. Which is why it's very, very important to make sure that you stay in the Premier League. It's very, very difficult to get back up once you go down. Although Norwich seem to be the masters of yo-yoing and uh, getting in and out of the Premier League. The favourites to go down next season are currently Bournemouth. They're priced up at eight to 11. Nottingham Forest are available at 10 to 11 and you get plus money on Fulham at 11 to 8. After that you get Brentford at 2 to 1, Southampton 2 to 1, it's 5 to 2 on Leeds, 11 to 2 on Wolves and 5 to 1 on Everton, 6 to 1 on Crystal Palace. I think Leeds are an interesting one. Jesse Marsh managed to keep them up last season, but they look like they're losing Rafinha. Calvin Phillips is already going to to Manchester City. In fact, that's a done deal for, for, I think it's 42 million pounds, which is quite cheap. I would expect him to go for a little bit more money than that. So it looks like they are going to get around about 100 million coming in for those two players. And it's very, very important to see how they reinvest that money. You would think they would have an additional 50 million anyway for just staying in the Premier League. So with 150 million to spend, this team shouldn't go down, but they have to spend the money. If they don't, if they don't reinvest after losing their two best players. I mean, Rafinha and Calvin Phillips are arguably their two most important players. If they don't resolve that issue, then Leeds could be once again in the relegation hunt I don't think Brentford should be down there. I think Southampton is correct. I don't think Southampton have done any significant business. And, and Ralph will eventually will go on and find a different job. He's a very, very respected manager. Um, he's probably growing a little bit stale at Southampton. The same could be said, I think, of Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. These are managers that could be looking at other jobs. Their head could be turned. And I think if Ralph Hasenhutl is in some way disgruntled by the the business or lack of business that Southampton do in the summer, they could be outsiders to go down as well this season. But I do think it's correct to initially have the original three teams that came back up to have them as the initial favourites to be relegated because I do think the other teams with the exception of Brentford, have very, very good Premier League quality. And it would be a surprise to see the likes of a Southampton, a a Wolves, a a Brighton, a Crystal Palace to be relegated. A name like that would very much surprise people if they do end up going down to the championship. Um, I think that's everything we should cover here. We have looked back at the previous season. We've looked a little bit ahead to the upcoming season. There will be a future show that will be coming out in about three weeks. And there will be another episode of Bet MUFC coming out in about two weeks. But I am going to begin my two week break after I drop my final two soccer episodes here on the Soccer Gambling podcast. As I said, you are going to get Bet MUFC on Sunday. I'm tired of waiting for Manchester United to make a signing. And also you are finally going to get yourselves that World Cup preview, that early World Cup preview. It's not early now because the draw was made some time ago, but at least we now know all the teams who are going to be in it. So you are going to get your early World Cup preview and that's going to be your gift for Independence Day. So on the 4th of July. Wake up in the morning and start your 4th of July by listening to my World Cup preview, which will be available here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. Guys, don't forget... Um, This is a one-off offer over at LockBetting.com. You can currently get Wimbledon picks under the soccer package. We've had a very strong start to Wimbledon. Our futures are looking very, very good. But if you want to get the full package over at LockBetting.com, you'll get all sports, MLB, NHL, and the UFC card as well. My UFC preview for the main three fights on the main card will be available, as per usual, on the fight show, which is, of course, always available on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. So that's it for the 2021-2022 EPL season. I know it concluded five weeks ago, but we are hitting this bang in the middle, five weeks since Manchester City lifted a trophy and five weeks away from when we do it all over again. And um, just to finish up with our lot records, The EPL show this season wasn't just a show that covered the EPL. Under the EPL umbrella, we had FA Cup picks. We had World Cup qualifying picks. We had African Nations picks. And we had a club World Cup lock as well. The final season tallies for all of those locks are as follows. EPL locks ended up going 38 and 13. We were 100% in the FA Cup where we finished 6 and 0. The EPL locks for World Cup qualifying and the AFCONs ended up finishing 19 and seven. And that includes dropping the last three in a row on the Nations League, which was very, very disappointing. So I was very happy when we were sitting at 19 and four. And we went 1-0 with the Club World Cup selection when we took the under in the final for the Chelsea victory in the Club World Cup finals. So in the end, that all adds up to us going 64-20. and 20. So that is the final lock record for the season, 64-20 and 20 going across the EPL, the FA Cup, World Cup qualifiers, Nations League, African Nations and the Club World Cup as well, 64-20. and 20. That gave us an overall lock percentage for the year of 76.1% with our locks. Now, if we had picked every single pick at minus 300, we would still have made a profit at 76.1%. If we picked every pick at minus 200, we would have made a really, really solid profit. The fact that we did most of this between minus 120 and minus 150 tells you a lot about what this podcast did this year. Disappointing finish, as I said, dropping the last three locks in a row with the Nations League, which was just a dumpster fire, I think, for everybody. But overall, let's focus on the fact we had 64 and 20 overall for our lot record. And I look forward to doing it all again when we return in three weeks' time. Until then, good luck with all your bets as always, guys. And thanks for listening.